I'm Ellie Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busy, the messy and the possibility of our world. Behind the stories we're drawn to are the storytellers who create them. The people who see and often sell the intangible, who captivate our imagination, make us gasp for breath, shed a tear, laugh out loud, and then want to run and share these stories with others. My guests on this episode are extraordinary story finders, story sharers, and storytellers. And I was captivated by not only how they bring the TV series and movies that they produce to life, but how they work together, how they lead their company, and how they honour themselves, each other, and their instincts in their work. Angie Fielder and Polly Staniford founded the award-winning production company Aquarius Films, which has built a reputation for bold, female-led projects, diversity both on and off-screen, and intelligent, progressive and inspiring stories. Aquarius produces high-quality films and TV series for global audiences that are commercially successful and critically acclaimed. Some of the film credits include the Academy Award and Golden Globe nominated Lion, produced in association with Seesaw Films, starring Dev Patel, Nicole Kidman and Rooney Mara. There's also Berlin Syndrome, Dirt Music and Wish You Were Here, amongst many, many others that have come out of Aquarius Films. In this conversation, we chat about the process of producing, what it is, and the key role that both Angie and Polly play in bringing stories to our screens. We have a brilliant conversation about how they see and relate and navigate uncertainty, and that one really stayed with me. They both shared how they protect their creative energy amongst the busyness of life, and it was really fascinating when the role they play pulls them in so many different directions. There's something magical, engaging and grounded about this conversation. So please enjoy the wisdom and insights from Angie Fielder and Polly Staniford. Angie and Polly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great to be connecting with you. I'd love to start with that question of um, what was it that pulled you or created that pathway towards producing. Polly, I'd love to go to you first. Tell me a little bit about kind of your pathway, your background. What was it about kind of your career that that got you onto where you are now? Yeah, look, I didn't um, I didn't start out having kind of grand plans to be a producer. I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, I've always loved storytelling and I went to film school and studied writing and directing. And when I left film school, at that time, there was very few opportunities in the industry that, that we didn't have streamers back then. There was sort of, you know, a couple of networks making TV and then there's the film industry, but there wasn't lots of jobs for directors and writers. And so I just really wanted to learn. I really wanted to get my, you know, stick my teeth in and get as much experience as I could. So I ended up getting a producer's internship with a company called Bigger Little Films, um, and working with um, Tony Ayres and Michael McMahon at the time, who were two producers. And I think working with them, I very quickly realised that producing can be incredibly creative. You know, you're, you're managing and working across multiple projects. And actually, at film school, producing always felt like a bit of a dirty word, like it was the person that kind of just organised things and did the catering and, you know, pulled people together. But actually, I realised very quickly that, you know, creative producers are across the scripts and... They're working with all the HODs and the directors and, you know, they're very integral as part of the whole creative process of the, you know, the making of the project. And so I kind of, at the same time, I'd been working with Angie, um, a, a company called If Magazine, the If Awards, and we'd made a couple of shorts together as producers as well. And so suddenly this idea was sort of forming in my head that actually rather than, you know, working as a writer or a director where you're really only working on one project at a time, you know, when you're actually in the thick of it because... You can't juggle multiple projects as a director at the same time. I just really like the idea of developing a slate and Angie and I were working really well together as, as short film producers. And so I guess it kind of evolved quite naturally. We decided that because the shorts we'd made had done very well and it played at festivals around the world, we had a great sort of um, energy working together. We started to develop a couple of bigger projects and I think we were both still figuring out, you know, long term what we wanted to both do. 
again, I don't think we sort of sat down and said, okay, let's start a, let's officially start a production company and grow this big slide. It was very, um, it sort of evolved naturally, I suppose. We had a couple of feature projects. We liked the idea of developing together and, and then, you know, over the years, it just kind of grew to what it's become, which is, you know, a fully fledged production company with a big slate and a team of staff. But yeah, it's funny looking back now because I don't think either of us set out with this grand plan for a company. Um, and I certainly didn't start my career thinking I'd be a producer, but I, I've yeah, really loved the journey and I love what we do. So interesting listening to that pathway of, A, not many roles, not many options, so therefore it's probably not particularly on your radar, but then starting to look at it around that creative element and multiple projects that you're working on at any given time. Angie, I'd love to go to you with probably what's the most obvious question. Uh, for many of us, we see the word producer up in the in the credits but we don't really know what they do. <laughs> what what does it mean to be a producer? What's their role? That's, uh, that's the million-dollar question or the multi-million-dollar question preferably. <laughs> uh, so I get, we get asked, producers get asked that all the time, and I think the correct answer really is that the only people who really understand what it is that producers do are other producers. Um, I don't even think that the people work, who work the closest with us, which are usually directors, and writers and lawyers, I don't even think they really understand the full breadth of what a producer does. And the truth is, is that it is a very weird job that requires you to have a really wide skill set and a really wide um, knowledge base, because you are, as Polly said, across every single part of the process. You're with the project from its conception. And you take it all the way through development, through production, through post-production, through sales and marketing. And, you know, that project is with you for the rest of its life, which can be many, many years. So on a, on a, on a regular day, you might be anything from, you might be required to be, um, to use your legal skills in the morning on a contracts call. You might be required to use your writing skills in your next meeting where you're giving script development notes to a writer or you're participating in a writer's room for a TV show where you're brainstorming a story or replotting an episode. Um, you're required to use your psychology skills to counsel that director who's freaking out because they think they've lost the thread of the edit and they don't know what to do. You're required to use your editing skills in that edit with the director to support them to finish off the episode. Um, you know, you're dealing with post-production houses, you're dealing with investors who are like, um, you know, a, a, a motley crew of, of people assembled on a project who all have very different requirements, who are all investing in the same show, but you have to keep all of them happy in different ways. And sometimes what they want is at odds with each other. And so you have to figure out how to give everybody what they want whilst at the same time maintaining the integrity of the show. So it's just, it, it's a really weird set of skills, but I think that's what we both love about it. Um, it, it you're literally jumping from one thing to another. You, you're, you know, problem solving constantly. Um, but it, it does mean that you get to work with every single person across the whole life of the project. And that's really amazing because, you know, one minute you're talking about whether or not there's enough cello in that particular music cue with the composer um, or whether it should be violin instead because that captures completely different emotion, you know, and it, it's so interesting and it, it really is like some of the conversations that we have, I'm just like, this is so brilliant. Like I love that we're talking about this, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird skill set, but it's I think just such a so interesting for that reason. As you're talking on when we're seeing that the ability to be able to know the entire project means that you have different contexts for all of those different conversations, no doubt, that you have to understand where that cello fits into <laughs> how, you know, how the actor might be um, portraying a particular character, what the writing lines are that then are evoking those kind of emotions. So I can really see those, those elements and those threads you know, tying together. Producers can often be the originator of projects as well. And so not only the art and the skill of storytelling, it's also the art and skill of story finding. When you're not necessarily looking for a story, but when there's a story that kind of piques your interest, what 
What is it about that story? Is it your own kind of emotional response where it might be something that makes you gas or takes your breath away? You know, stories have that ability to to capture you in a moment. Or is it something, is it a bit more of a rational checklist in terms of, of what you're looking for in a story? Angie, I might start with you and then uh, Polly, I'd love to hear your take on that as well. Uh, you mean in terms of when we're choosing our projects to take yes. on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, we, we sort of talk about this, um, quite a bit in terms of, you know, what is it that we're looking for and what is it that it attracts us to a project? And we, we're not really sure exactly what it is. Um, right. we just sort of often say it just feels like it's got that Aquarian thing, you know, that Aquarius theme, but I think it's probably to do with, um, in a practical sense, it's us looking at a project and knowing that we can see a pathway to an audience and we could also see a pathway to finance. So we can look at it and go, we know that XYZ streamer or XYZ sales agent or, you know, XYZ director would be interested in collaborating on this project. So we can see how we could put it together and we can also see how there's an audience for this particular show. Um, But on the other hand, I think for us, it's also just a feeling that you get. And I guess it's something that we read it and go, we, we want to watch this show. We would want to watch this show. Um, we want to make this show. We want to spend the next three to five years of our lives working on this show. Um, it feels like it's topical or, you know, it's, it, it relates to the zeitgeist, something like that. So it can kind of be any number. It's, it's based on a, an amazing book that we loved that was a bestseller or what, whatever it is. There's always, but ultimately I think it's always about being able to see that there's an audience for or the show or the, or the film. Yeah, what's your take on that, Polly? Yeah, quite similar. I mean, I think there is something incredibly magic about that first moment that you discover a story. Like storytelling has been around for, you know, as long as people have been on Earth, you know, we've been telling stories. And I think there's something really special about that moment that you read a book or read an article or get pitched an idea and you just go, oh, wow, we have to tell this. And it could be anything from, yeah, like we're moved by the story, we're wowed by the true, you know, true story aspect of it. Um, there's someone involved who's an incredible filmmaker that we really well work with. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it does always come back to story for us. We're very much about story and that is what drives all our projects. And I think it, there is just a certain intuitive kind of magic about that when you read it or you hear about it where you just get so excited. And it's something about that idea of the possibility too, like at the beginning when you first bring an idea into, into the company or into the slate, it's this, it's almost like this newborn, you know, baby. It's like it's, it's, it's fresh. It's, it hasn't been tampered with yet. It's, it's just, it's this, there's this huge possibility and I think that there's real, it's really exciting. I personally love early development because there is just so much, it can go so many different ways and it's really exciting to, to sort of think about where, where we're going to take it, who we're going to bring on, what we're going to do with it. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit about some of the stories that you have uh, produced in a minute. But if I come back to Polly where you were mentioning before, it wasn't necessarily this idea to start a business um, yeah. with yourself and Angie, but it was kind of this organic growth. Angie, you mentioned before about some stories just have this Aquarius kind of feel about it. When you create an entity that is something, it's almost becomes a business outside of yourself. Part of what you're doing is telling the story of that business and Maybe. that brand. Um, what are the essence of it? What it stands for? Tell me a little bit about, I guess, that going from an idea to actually having Aquarius Films, which is your award-winning production company. What is it about and what's important to your business? Uh, what, what it stands for, what it produces, how it, I guess, is a point of difference in the market. Polly, I can ask you, what comes to mind when you, when you hear that? Yeah, look, I think we've always positioned ourselves as being quite female-led, like a lot of our projects are sort of unearthing untold female stories. And I think that there's so many of those stories that we haven't yet told and we're really excited about pushing those stories and telling more female-driven stories. We've always been a huge advocates for diversity, both on the screen and behind, behind the scenes. So a lot of our projects, you know, tell stories from, you know, the points of view of characters that maybe don't often get their voices told and we like to work with a lot of diverse um, filmmakers and so that's always been a huge um, a huge push for us. 
And then I think, you know, recently we were, we were talking a lot about Aquarius and what the, you know, we're both Aquarian, that's where Aquarius comes from. But actually, you know, we're in the age of Aquarius now and, you know, the, the sort of energy around Aquarius is about sort of having sort of revolutionary sort of ideas. It's about, you know, thinking outside the box. It's about, you know, the, the, the symbol of Aquarius is the water bearer. And I guess we see ourselves as that. We see ourselves as the kind of the nurturers of these projects. You know, we take them on, we look after them and, and we sort of see them through from, you know, early stage all the way through to their life. So I think sort of... Sit, like symbiotically, without thinking about it, the name Aquarius feels very much who we are. Um, you know, we are, you like to push boundaries, do things differently. We're, we're very bold in our approach. We like bold ideas. Um, yeah, and I think um, I think one of our really strong core values is collaboration. And, yeah. you know, the company started out of a collaboration between the two of us and um, and it's a great partnership that works really well and, you know, People often joke that we're like the same person with the same brain and, um, and, and that kind of is, you know, like I know that, um, if, if, if Polly gives notes on a project that I don't have time to read, I know my notes are probably going to be pretty much the same as hers and that kind of thing, you know, we're very creatively aligned, but we also both really believe in the, in the magic of collaboration and that, yeah. that when you collaborate with other people, that is where the magic happens. And, and collaboration is an art and a skill. N not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do it well, but we, um, you know, are really committed to a spirit of equ equality and collaboration and mutual respect. And in, in providing the people that we're working with, with all of the tools and support and love and sort of, um, guidance that they need in order to do their very best work and, and, and that we're all working harmoniously together and moving towards exactly the same goal together, which yeah. I think is a, it's a huge part of filmmaking. It's not, it's not a solitary art. You're not painting a picture on a canvas with a paintbrush. You're working with hordes of people and, um, a lot of different personalities and everybody's bringing something different to the table. And I think the best kind of producers are able to get the best out of everybody. It's so critical where you were talking about you're almost the CEO of all these different projects with multiple different people. You're overseeing it all, but also you want their creative genius to be able to come forward in a, but in a collaborative kind of process. And where you talk about the essence of the brand and what we stand for, part of that is, is uh, others who are part of the projects sharing that sharing that essence, understanding what it is that we are coming together. Andy, you talked about collaboration. Not everyone does it well. Um, and sometimes where you're working, particularly in that kind of creative field, you can have individual geniuses, but you need them to be able to understand across a team. What makes collaboration work well? Or what are some of the skills, I guess, that you've needed to bring in order to foster that sense of collaboration across teams? Um, I think it's, I think it's, it starts at the top and it starts at the beginning. So, you know, if you're talking about the life of a project from the moment, everybody walks into that first writer's room, we have a, a spiel that we read out to everybody that is about letting everyone know that they are safe and comfortable and that it's a respectful environment where no idea is a bad idea. Everybody should feel free to share whatever it is, you know, and, and and really kind of just starting from there and making sure that at every step of the way, everybody feels, um, feels safe creatively to express themselves. And I, and I have been in environments, you know, on, on certain projects where a certain person in the group, whether you're on set or in a writer's room or whatever, is, is making other people feel like they cannot express themselves creatively. And it's something that I've had to manage and Polly's had similar experiences where you have to manage that because it, you can't have that. You can't have someone involved in the process who's not allowing people to creatively express themselves because the whole process is one of creative expression. And so you, and, and I guess for us, you know, over the years, we've really learned to identify that behavior early and kind of go, well, we're not going to work with that person because they're not collaborative and we need people who are not putting themselves first, who sees themselves as part of a, a bigger whole. So yeah. yeah, it's really about making people feel safe and supported and, and, um, you know, and, and like their ideas of val not only valued, but that they're good and that they're 
building something. Every every idea is a building block in the tower that you're creating that is the show or the film, you know, so. You get to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say too that I think when you're collaborating, particularly as a producer where you're sort of, lead, I guess, leading the group or kind of helping guide people, for me it's a balancing act between being really sort of strong in your convictions and knowing what you, how you see the show, but also surrendering to the kind of, to the magic of collaboration too, because sometimes an idea that someone else has that may not have been the direction you thought the show or the film was going to go is actually a better version of the story or, or their idea sparked someone else and that sparked someone else. There's, there's nothing like being in a, in a writer's room or a, you know, a meeting with other creatives where those kind of collective ideas start to happen and that's where the magic happens. And, you know, as Angie said, without that collaboration, you wouldn't get the project. So it's, it's so important to surrender as well. I think surrender is a really important word. If I come back to, and Angie, you mentioned a lot of this comes from the top. I really love that sense of kind of setting the, setting the scene and, and setting that environment, particularly in a, in a writing room. And there's an energy that comes when we are collaborating for something else, um, as opposed to jostling for positions. If I can bring it back to the partnership that the two of you share, uh, and you've talked really beautifully about the way that you work together, but that also requires work. Uh, making sure that you're investing in that partnership. There are times, no doubt, that whilst you might have very similar creative views, that you might have a different perspective or, you know, we, we want to celebrate and encourage difference of opinions. But when we're tired and under the pump and <laughs> sometimes, you know, that that might come across in different ways, what tools do you have to to work on your partnership together, to invest in that, that being such a key part of uh, being able to take on the projects that, that you do take on. Polly, what comes to mind for you? Look, I do think we've been incredibly lucky that we do just get on and we do have very similar vision. Um, I don't think we've ever had a huge fight or disagreement. I think, again, we've both learned to kind of you know, listen to each other. I think listening is really important. Sometimes we, if we have a kind of a creative difference, what inevitably by just talking it out, the other one will kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Actually, I, I'm happy to go with what you think. But inevitably, more often than not, we do just have a very aligned and clear um, vision that's on the same page. And I think, I think that is incredibly rare. And I think that's why we've worked so well together over the years. Um, I think the fact that we're both Aquarian, you know, we're, <laughs> we're very similar minded. Um, but I, th I think, you know, I think we both care passionately about our projects in the same way, but we also know when to let things go. Like we're, we're not, we're not kind of, you know, it sh what we do is fun. It shouldn't be hard. It should be fun. And I think particularly over the last few years when it has been really hard with COVID and making stuff during COVID, I think it's made us really kind of reassess things and kind of go, you know, this shouldn't be hard. And actually it is, it's, it's hard work, but it shouldn't be unpleasant. And actually we've worked really hard to establish our own set of, sort of our own manifesto, I suppose, about who we want to work with, the kind of environments we want to create and be in. And actually if we get the niggle or the kind of the, the intuitive vibes that someone or something isn't working, we now work really hard to fix that because it's just not, life's too short to actually to have unpleasant experiences. And I think that, 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 that goes for many workplaces, but I think, the film and TV industry is a very intense um, world, particularly when you're in production, there's long hours and often you're away from home, away from families. So it is real. I think both of us have the same sort of core values when it comes to the way we'd like to work. And I think that's what's kept the partnership really um, healthy. Angie, this is not where you disagree, but <laughs> anything else? <laughs> well, yes, no, I can completely disagree. Well, actually, Polly. You know? <laughs> no, I, I think I um, absolutely agree with everything Polly said. And what I would also add is that I think we also, um, possibly because we're Aquarians, I think we both also believe very much in dreaming. And I think we do spend time together talking about the dreams and going, okay, you know, and whether it's the, the dream for a particular project, like here's a great script, what's our dream for it? Where would we like it to go? Or where would we like the company to go? Or what do we want for ourselves and for each other? Like where, what's the next step? What's the next phase? And we, we, we imagine those things and we talk about what we want and, and, and there's, I think there's a lot of, um, enjoyment and sort of, um, it's invigorating to do that. You know, like if you're just coming in every day and just kind of doing the work and not having a vision, there's something that's not 
so inspiring about that. But I think I think we inspire each other with our ideas and like, well, what if we did this and oh, we could do that. And I think that time spent dreaming and even like, you know, for example, earlier uh, last year, we went to Cannes, the Cannes, um, the European film market at Cannes and um, to, to finance some films. And then afterwards we were like, okay, we're in the south of France. We're just going to go up the road to, um, I can't remember where it was. It was Antibes, Antibes. Antibes, went up the road to Antibes for, you know, two or three nights after the market to actually just talk about the company and what we would like to happen in the next five years or whatever. And we were just in a little villa on the ocean. It was beautiful. But we, you know, we kind of gave ourselves the space to just dream in an environment that was beautiful and we came back feeling refreshed and happy and you know and I think that stuff is important it's like it's like any relationship like you have to feel it with good things you have to spend good time together and you have to inspire each other so I'm I'm taking note I uh in in business with my husband so I'm telling him the south of France is where all all ideas need to come from highly recommend yes great that time invested to be able to talk through vision align what that looks like and then you get the chance to celebrate and recognize that along the way um in a minute I might ask you about you know what are the ways that you might recognise some of those milestones? But if I come to to one of them, one of the movies that you produced uh, that went on to um, get you know, high acclaim and awards is is the movie Lion. What was it about the story behind Lion that drew you to want to produce this film? I mean, that, that film, that story is like a gift um, because it has all of these great elements that make it a great film and the 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 most of which is the very best ending ever mm. um you know and and you actually if you wrote that story people would not be, would just say that's unbelievable there's no way that would ever happen and they you know but the fact is that pretty much everything in that film i mean of course you when you're adapting something into a film you take poetic license and you change certain things but for the most part everything that happens in that film actually did happen and that and it happened the way that it happened um, so I, I first read about it in a, in a news article and immediately went, oh my God, what, what, that would make an amazing film. And I think one of the most amazing aspects of it is the fact that he used Google Earth over a number of years and basically found a needle in a haystack, you know, and the, the fact that he used this modern technology and then got on a plane and went over and found his mum who had never moved from that area because she always felt that he would return home like it's just so this it's so beautiful so yeah I think I think stories like that don't come along every day um and uh yeah there's just there's just so many great things about it I get goosebumps even even as you were kind of talking that through one thing to see a remarkable story like that another thing to pull together a remarkable team that can produce that type of you know, really honour that story, directors, actors. Tell me a little bit about the process, particularly for that that movie. Um, well, it, it, because it's such an amazing story and was at that time an incredibly well-known story, um, you know, there were companies in America who were wanting to make it um, to the point where we were sort of in a bit of a race to get it into production to, to sort of beat people um, <laughs> who also had the same idea uh, but it was a project that people just came to because they knew about it um, and were aware of it. So, you know, um, Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman, you know, knew about the project and wanted to be a part of it. Um, and, yeah, everybody that came to it would just had knew it was aware of the story, knew about it, and was just like, where do I sign me up? You know, I, I want to do this. So, yeah, I think it's just the, the, the beauty and the uniqueness of that story. What was the moment like when you found out that it had been nominated for an Academy Award for the Best Picture? Oh, it was wild. I mean, you kind of you kind of do get a sense beforehand that it's probably going to happen. I mean, you don't you don't know until the announcement, but you're sort of part of this big machine that is building up to that. It's like a full Oscars campaign and everything, and so you know we were sort of well and truly in the thick of it all. But um, yeah, it's sort of. Un- unreal in a way and like and even just being at the academy awards you feel you sort of feel like you're in a dream or like you're sort of watching it on television but you're sort of there and it's mm. very strange um but but great you know it's a really a career highlight for sure 
Polly, in terms of that, sometimes that wrestle between the next vision, the next thing, but also actually celebrating and recognising the achievements and moments on the way, how, how do you balance those two? Yeah, I think we've got better, better at that as time has gone on. Um, I think in the early days, you know, you're sort of, we're building the company and trying to build the slate and, you know, always on the kind of go, trying to kind of, you know, get to that next point. I think as we've got older and as the company's kind of evolved too, you realise that the point you're trying to get to is sort of always moving because you achieve the things you want to achieve and then you're looking to the next goal. And I think we we have become very good over the last few years at actually stopping and kind of celebrating even the small wins, you know, um, celebrating the fact that we've signed a contract to get a new book option or celebrating a fantastic new person starting in the company or you know, even just little things about, you know, we, we now celebrate as a team when we've submitted an application. Like it's just about, you know, we all work really hard, you know, and I think it's about, you know, looking back and kind of going, okay, we have to celebrate the little things as well because, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in this sort of the day-to-day and not realise how far you've come. Um, and I think it, it, it's, you know, as Angie was saying before, like when you go away with little sort of strategy days and you kind of, you, you we, when we were in Antibes doing our, our sort of three-day strategy recently, we opened up um, a document that we'd written, I think, 10 years ago that had our sort of, here's our three-year goal, you know, 10 years ago. And it was so funny and so cute. Like we just, we were in a little baby company and we had such a few projects and, you know, a tiny sort of overhead. And it was just, it was actually really humbling to realise how far we had come in that 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's regularly writing those things down too. So you can look back and go, oh, wow, like we, we achieved some and some more, you know, like it's, yeah, I think we, we've, we've become good at sort of writing down, you know, little three-year plans or updating our kind of vision or a manifesto because it is really nice to look back on that um, as the years go on and realise, you know, that we have achieved a lot. Um, so important to be able to see where where that growth has come because we're so often get caught up in the work a big part of not only I imagine the work that you do you're making decisions all the time being able to lead and drive a business is around kind of decision making when it comes to the way that we're viewing and streaming um, uh, content you know previously it used to be movies were the pinnacle we're now seeing multi uh you know multi-episode kind of series with big production qualities around them lots of different streaming platforms um and a real variety of uh things that are changing and that seems to be growing how is the decisions that you make in terms of what you're producing how you're producing it what's a feature length movie versus what might be a series what might be a documentary how is that shifting and changing and how are you navigating some of those decisions in the in the changing platform Angie I might go to you yeah um it's a great question and um certainly we felt there's been a number of shifts in the time that we our company's been up and running most recently um, we felt a shift um, from l- longer um, retu- longer running, longer returning TV series to more digestible um, formats of things. So, for example, with the advent of the streamers and the, and the sort of the the rise of TV, um, everybody wanted, you know, lots of episodes where you could really get into the characters and then they wanted those shows to return for six, seven, eight seasons. And more recently, I would say in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, people are actually, veer- audiences are veering away from that and they're looking for shorter, more digestible things. So either feature film has totally come back on trend because people are like, I, I don't want to, I don't have the time to invest in eight seasons of 10 episodes. I just want to sit down in one night and I want to get the full story from start to finish and then I'm done with it. It's finished. I've, you know, I've got the whole thing. Or um, they want to watch a series that is perhaps a limited series so that, you know, you only have to commit to one season and you just want it to be short episode, like 20 minute episodes. So you can just watch one quickly before you go to bed or, or if you decide to watch two, you're not going to be up until one o'clock in the morning. So there's definitely been like a shift more towards that, that sort of content in the last little while, it'll probably change again next year and, and we're ready for that. So, I mean, we, we moved, we started out in feature films and we moved, uh, we, we then incorporated TV into our slate for that reason, because TV was on the rise and we knew we needed, needed to diversify. 
And we know now that we just have to keep all the plates in the air and keep them all spinning because, and the same, the same is true with um, genres of content, you know, um, last year at Cannes, everyone was looking for feature films that were um, thrillers, crime thrillers. Um, you know, a few years before that, it was romantic comedies. Like there's always something that everyone's wanting to, to, to do. So you've just got to, we, we like to have a little bit of everything and, um, you know, so that we, we if that project's not going to go, then we can push that one forward. In terms of our slate too, we're always interrogating what format our projects are. So sometimes we take a project on and develop it as a TV series, but then as that project sort of progresses, we realise actually maybe it's better as a film. You know, so we're, we're constantly kind of evolving with the marketplace as well. So I think the biggest challenge at the moment is that whilst there's this incredible opportunity with, you know, new streamers coming in and a multitude of places to take things, there's also an incredible um, saturation of, you know, content. So it's very hard to stand out. And I think we're constantly going, okay, how do we, how do we make our project more bold or more unique or what twist can we give it that sort of, because I think, I think what everyone wants is they sort of want the same thing. They still want thrillers. They still want rom-coms. They still want things that audiences are going to kind of connect to and relate to, but there has to be a twist on it. There has to be a, what makes this fresh mm -hmm. and new. And I think we're always interrogating that on our slate as well. How can we just give this a little bit of a twist to kind of make it stand out? There must be constant energy around that because you're trying to predict, as you say, kind of 12, 18 months' time because of the length of time projects take um, yeah. to be able to have a few that you can kind of pull out if, okay, this is the genre that's now the flavour of the season um, but also that constant sense of well, what, where can you be ahead of the trend or maybe informing the trend based on, on what you're pulling together. A big part of that is the ability to navigate uncertainty, to, to come back to your vision and to come back to your creative process. With that in mind, Polly, what's your relationship like with uncertainty? Because I think for some people they're like... That's all good, but can you promise, can you guarantee that the audiences will like this? Uh, and I think we need to, as you say, kind of surrender or let go. What's what's your relationship like with uncertainty? Yeah, look, I used to struggle with uncertainty um, because, you know, as producers we like to be very organised and plan for the future and know what our year looks like. But I think over the last few years in particular, I've learned to build a good relationship with uncertainty. And actually what I've learned is that there's, there is an incredible magic in uncertainty too because in uncertainty, everything's possible. Um, and I think that that's really exciting. And I think sometimes when we've been in that place of, okay, where now, what are we gonna do with this? It inevitably sparks, you know, credit discussion that leads to something good. Um, as producers, there's so much uncertainty, you know, people pull out, actors pull out, finance changes, someone says no, you know, we, we get no's all the time. And if that was, if we took no's as a kind of, well, that's the end of the project, we'd never make anything. So I think, you know, uncertainty is just part of what we do and actually it pushes us to make decisions and to kind of drive things forward. So it's actually, if you learn to kind of love it, it actually leads to good things. And, and if, well, what we've learned over the years too is that when things do go wrong, which they do all the time, like people pull out and things that happen that are unexpected, they always lead to something better. And I think the more you do it, the more you realise that, the more you actually start to build a kind of real love for uncertainty because, um, yeah, there's that magic there, I think. There's such a skill to be able to, in that moment, to be able to recognise, okay, there might be something better, there might be something else yeah. around, around the corner. Wow. Angie, for yourself, no doubt you've learnt the skill of <laughs> dealing with setbacks, dealing with no's. Um, what, what's your first go-to when that happens? Oh, look, I really think it's it's kind of what Polly said, that I think when you're producing early on, you realise that that there's going to be a lot of no's and, and that if you want to make it in this game, you've got to be okay with no's and you've got, you've got to be tenacious and you've got to just, you know, not take no for an answer in that, okay, well, if you've said no, someone else is going to say yes. And one, one thing we often say to each other in the office, like we might take a project to a broadcaster or we think they might do it and then they say no. And you have to pick yourself up and dust yourself off. But we always say, we, we only need one yes. We just need one person to say yes. And then we're, we're off, you know. So, um, yeah, I, th I, think, I think you just learn very early on. And it sort of doesn't really 
bother me too much anymore. And, and I do, like Polly said, you know, I agree with everything she just said, like it, you, you learn to have a great relationship with uncertainty. And I do genuinely believe that when someone says no, it means that they're not the right person at, because the right person will come along and they always, always do. That may sound idealistic or unrealistic, but I promise you it, it always happens. And we always have to, you know, it, we always kind of remind ourselves, we just go, okay, that's really disappointing, but it just means that someone, something else is going to come and it, and it does. The thing that you need to take charge of in those moments, it's not necessarily the, the other person's response. Um, and it's just a, such an important reminder that something else will come, come along. But the thing we need to take charge of is our own energy to be able to ask mm. again, to reach out again. Yeah. How do you manage your energy, Angie, in order to be able to go, okay, that's disappointing, I recognise that, go again. What Do you have any non-negotiables that help kind of support you to kind of... Oh, look, I, I think um, I think I do a, a lot of things. Like I feel like I have a bit of a toolbox in terms of managing my energy and my... Um, motivation and my self-esteem as a producer and all of those things because I think every producer can relate to the notion that some days you feel like you're just doing a terrible job but you're not doing a terrible job you're just having a bad day um so you know I think that things like you know all those sorts of practical things like healthy diet and exercise and work-life balance is really important I mean Polly and I are both big believers in work-life balance and I think that's also where our partnership really comes into play where whereby if someone's having a holiday then they just switch off and they don't check emails and they don't and you know if, if Polly's away on holidays I don't expect her to be doing anything other than spending time with her family and refreshing and if I if something comes up that I really need to speak to her about I'll call her but otherwise she's having, she's recharging and, and likewise the same for me. And that's really important because if you never get to switch off, you never get to recharge. Um, you know, we both do things like meditation and, and, and we also have interests outside of work, which I think is really important um, so that you can, for a period of time, focus on something else that's challenging your mind or your body or whatever. Because I, I think time away from your work is actually really important because when you come back to work, for me, that's when all the ideas come in. You know, if I've been able to take a break, I might not have the ideas while I'm on the break. I might, but I might not. But when I then go, right, I'm coming back in to refocus, it's like a, a shoot opens and the ideas just pour in. And I know that's because I've given my brain a break. And that's that to me is, is the key to being able to keep, keep on going at the level that we're often required to be at, which is, you know running on adrenaline a lot of the time, you know. Polly, I see you nodding. What are the things for you? What are some of those tools? Yeah, I, mean, I feel like Angie's kind of covered it really, but yeah, meditation's a big one for me, getting into nature, being with family. I think, you know, we both have young kids and I think they're very um, grounding and force you to be sort of present and let go of the day. Um, but I think also having each other, I think, you know, inevitably when, th when the shift, the fan or things happen, being able to turn to the person next to you and kind of go, oh God, what are we going to do? It's really helpful to have someone to bounce off because I think normally it's, normally one of us is more panicked than the other about a particular situation and the other one can sort of bring the energy back down and go, no, it's going to be okay. How about we do this? Or how about we do that? And I think that's where the partnership really works is that energetically we balance, balance each other out a lot. Um, yeah, but I think as we said before too, with, with sort of time and experience, we've learned to not let those bad moments or those setbacks create negative energy. It's about just kind of brushing yourself off, taking a breather and going, okay, well, where now? What's, what's next? When you are people that see possibility, which is part of your job title, um, it can be a wrestle on what to say yes to and what to say no to in order to kind of manage your own energy. Do you have any tips or tools around how you've navigated that or, or that you might be looking to navigate that? We're, we're chatting at the start of an essentially start of a new year coming into 2023. Polly, for you, what comes to mind in terms of what are those things you say yes to, what do you say no to and what helps you to make that decision? Yeah, look, I think a lot of our decisions are very intuitive and that can be hard sometimes because often you have to say, we've got a bit of a saying, which is sometimes you have to say no to the good projects to say yes to the great ones. 
And so it is really hard sometimes. A really good project comes across your desk and you can see lots of possibility there, but there's just something about it that sometimes you can't even figure out what exactly it is, but there's just something that isn't, isn't saying yes, a hundred. And, you know, I, I think it's a lot of discussion between Angie and I. I mean, a big thing, as we've said before, is about the energy and the sort of um, feeling of the team. So if there's any kind of niggle about relationships or, you know, difficult people, then we, we steer clear because we really want to have a, a sort of cohesive team that, you know, really enjoy working together. But in terms of the yeses, it's sort of like you just know when it's a yes. Like you, you can't, your body is just saying yes. Um, and sometimes you have to dig into that a little bit deeper and kind of, you know, talk out loud about pros and cons. But I think for most of our career, if it's been a yes, it's been a pretty clear yes for both of us. And look, that can change too. Sometimes it's a very clear yes early on. Something happens at a point and you have to kind of realign or rediscuss. But I think we're getting much better at kind of, and it's hard. There's nothing worse than bringing a project onto your slate and then at some point realizing actually it's a no now, it's changed. And I think that's something we've got better at too. It's, it's We don't like to do it and it's very rare that we bring something on and then have to let it go. But you do have to listen to that too because there's no point in having something that just really isn't working for whatever reason. And sometimes that ability to be able to move quickly on once once you hear that, Angie, I yeah. saw you kind of nodding. Is it is it similar for you in terms of those yeses are really clear and then we re renegotiate if it is a no? That decision to let a project go is a really big decision and it is hard because, you know, if you added up the hours of work that went into it, you know, you don't, kind of don't even, don't want to do that. Um, but it's, again, it's that other thing as well of if you, you know, that saying, if you close one door, another one opens, like if you clear space, then something else comes into that space and, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's going to be better. And also, I guess the industry that we work in is so changeable. Like the trends are changing all the time. It's inevitable that something that was a great idea last year has suddenly become, um, dated or, you know, the, the conversation has moved on from that, you know, and the conversations about everything change on a daily basis these days. So it's inevitable that it's going to happen. Um, but it's, yeah, it's never easy to, to let it go, but it, it's always better to do that. We we are chatting at the start of like I call February the start of the twenty the new year. What's exciting you about the year ahead, Angie? Um, where I'm really excited about making a film again. Uh, in the last um, three years, we've made four TV series, which has um, been fantastic, and we were very lucky to be in production so often during COVID. Uh, and I do love the speed and the sort of dynamism of TV. Um, but there's something about feature film that's a little bit like, it's like my first love or something. There's something about that process that's really special uh, and that we both really enjoy. So I'm really looking forward to to the possibility of making a, a feature film this year. And um, I, look, I think Polly and I are, are at the point now, Polly mentioned earlier about how the point that you're trying to reach is constantly changing because you reach that point and then you move the goalposts for yourself. And we are absolutely constantly doing that. And I think what, what we're doing this year is that we are, um, I think we're living in a world where, you no longer have to, um, just be a certain type of content maker. You don't just have to be a producer who raises the money and oversees the development. And so we are developing our own, um, projects that we've created ourselves. We're writing um, episodes of shows where we are working on projects where we're collaborating together as co-creators and really sort of, I guess, um, taking charge of, of, of the, the sort of creative conception of, of, of content for the company. Um, we're still, we're still collaborating with other people and, and working with other creators on their project, producing their projects. But I think we're both really excited about the projects that we have on our slate that we have created ourselves and moving um, more into that space. Anything else come to mind for you, Polly? Um, look, I second all of that. Um, it's been really, I mean, writing uses a very different part of your brain. And I think both of us have really enjoyed that process this year of kind of diving into our own work. Um, 
and you know you're still using all the same skills that you you know you do as a credit producer but it just takes a different kind of focus and a different kind of um sort of I guess singular singular focus too you know which is quite nice um but yeah the, the, the film as Angie said is going to be really exciting we've also got just a really a really fantastic slate like we've got some incredible projects that we've optioned recently we've got some projects that are sort of hurling towards you know financing we're working with some really great collaborators like I just think we've got a really robust exciting very diverse slate and I'm just super excited to see you know where it takes us this year you, you never quite know when things are going to go and what's going to go each year but um it's always exciting at the start of the year to look ahead and kind of see there's a number of things that could go and they're all fabulous and all very different and all involve different groups of people that are all really exciting so yeah cut way the the boldness the sense of possibility um that really kind of sits behind your brand comes through in the conversation I've really loved this conversation you've even pulled back the curtain just a little bit on uh, <laughs> what production is and and just how that sense of collaboration and team is so critical in order to to see something through to the end and that ability to sit in uncertainty and to to navigate what's next navigate our own energy so I want to come full circle with the final question for this podcast the name of the podcast is called standout life when you hear that term what does it mean to you to live a standout life um I would say I think it means to keep striving to live the dream you know and I, I mean I feel like we are so lucky to do what we do and I do feel like when I come into the office every day and Polly's sitting two feet away from me and we've got this beautiful team outside and I just go, well, if this, yeah, I think if this is not a standout life, I'm not really sure what is. Like, I'm so happy. I feel creatively fulfilled and challenged and stimulated. And, um, I feel like it means to, to, to live the dream or to strive to live the dream. Yeah. I would, I would add to that, but just saying constantly kind of pushing boundaries, um, challenging your own sort of ideas about things, um, thinking outside the box, which we've always done, continuing to evolve, I suppose, with the times um, and just making really bold decisions. But yeah, I think, I think, I feel, I feel like we're already living a standout life in what we do. I love what we do. Um, and it's just continuing to evolve with that dream. That recognition so often we, we can be grasping for what's next, but what, what you both speak about so beautifully is the recognition of, hey, we're living it and there's the next challenge, the next thing to push and the next thing to be bold about um, and the two can coexist. So I would take that as an amazing standout life. Angie, Polly, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Great to chat to you. Yeah, it was great. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life. <laughs>